Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the In the Numbers podcast. I am your host, Jarvez Hall of these Metro Steam Partnership. I am excited for what we have for you today. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest that we are going to bring to the stage here in just one moment. But first, we always start with our number of the day. And our number of the day is 365. No, that is not for the number of days in the year, because all you science folks know in a year is actually 365.25 days. So it's not 365 uh, as far as days in a year. But what it is, is the number of focused child care networks operating in uh, 2020 here in the Oregon area, which is 260 home-based early learning programs, 22 licensed exempt home-based early learning programs, 70 center-based early learning programs, and 13 licensed exempt center-based learning programs. And that is from uh, the CC&R up here in Oregon. So why are we talking about early learning? Because we have a fantastic guest. We have... uh, we have Dr. Scott Patterson from Turk. Everyone give Scott a big round of applause. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for, for being here today. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. No, 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 I always call it Turk. It is Turk, right? I, yes, it used to stand for something, um, but it's one of those acronyms, organization names that no longer stands for anything. So we just say Turk, T E R C. Yeah, see, because sometimes. You know, organizations, you know, when you when you know, I used to be an, uh, an HR person and uh, the the professional body was SHRM and some people didn't like SHRM. So they're like, no, it's SHRM. I'm like, everybody calls it SHRM. So it's like you can be, you know, in the, in the last organization I, I worked with, you know, it was, you know, EMEA. And everybody called it Emi. And people were like, well, why is it called Emi? There's an A at the end. I'm like, look, it's called Emi. That's what everybody calls it. Just run with it. Uh, but, but some folks get real tested. I want to make sure uh, that that we are uh, talking about the right thing. So I want to thank you for being here, thank taking you. the time to, to be with us today, talk about your work, talk about the cool scientific stuff that you get to do <laughs> and uh, talk about early, early uh, childhood education, which is, uh, which is very important and really important, especially to introduce STEM uh, at the early stages. Absolutely. Uh, my, my, my son is in the first grade and I have a first grader and a second grader and their, their school was handing out supplies and he had this, um, uh, and they, they they gave him these little magnifying glasses, <laughs> and he was just going around the house with this magnifying glass. And you know, for years he's been saying he wanted to be a dinosaur. So we're <laughs> we're, we're finally getting out of the I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up stage. Uh, but just when he had that this just because of that little that little uh, magnifying glass, you know, now he's talking about being 
uh, experimental scientist. Oh, that's amazing. And, and maybe a paleontologist, you know, maybe look for dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, we could, we could go that route. You know, he's <laughs> pumped up about the dinosaur exhibit at OMSI and, yes. and some of those other things, but it's just amazing how, you know, you introduce a couple of things to, to kids when they're, when they're young and they really get excited about, about science and math and, and things like that. Yeah, the small experiences really do matter at this age. So let, let's talk about you a little bit. Let's talk about Dr. Scott. See, I always <laughs> use use folks' honorifics. I know some folks don't, you know, like to like to put it out there a lot, but I say, hey, you worked hard, you earned it. So I'm gonna call you doctor. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, and so uh so talk a little bit about yourself. I know you have a uh you're a social scientist, you have a you have a PhD in, I believe it's science education. Yes, that's right. From Oregon State University, local. Oh, yes, <laughs> you Oregon State, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> that's 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 kind of what we have to do whenever, whenever we say Oregon State on the on the on the show here. Well, I was my uh, undergraduate was at the University of Oregon, so I have to be a little careful. Both uh, see, and see, we're not we're not look look. Look, we all make mistakes in our youth. Okay. So, so you went there first and you realized, Hey, I need to, I need to go to where it's really at. And, and you came on over. <laughs> yes. You came on over. So you have a, so you have an undergrad was in uh, uh, environmental science. So you just been STEM the whole time. He's like, I'm, I'm hanging out in the STEM fields. Yeah, that's, that's right. I, that, that's what I'm into. And environmental science was kind of a funny one. It was sort of like a choose your own science adventure at the undergraduate level. And um, but I left uh, U of O really not having any idea what I would do with that. And I had volunteered at the Natural History Museum down there. And the staff member who was overseeing me at that time, my work, they said, well, why don't you go work at OMSI? I've worked at OMSI before. I could, I could recommend you. So the first thing I did after undergraduate was I moved up to Portland with my girlfriend and started working, uh, selling tickets at the front desk at OMSI. And that was kind of the beginning of the long, dark journey. <laughs> That's how, it, you know, it, it only takes one, one step. Yep. <laughs> it, 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 it only takes one step. So what, what made you decide... Because uh, I know after that you 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 got a master's in science education and then a, a PhD in, in in science education. So what made you really want to dive deeper into the science education piece? Was well, it was it from your work at OMSI, or had you always been thinking about you know education as a as a part of it? I think it was a combination of things. You know, both my parents were teachers, so I was inspired that way, um, and always sort of lived in that kind of education teaching world. Although um, I never was sure that I had what it took to be a teacher, seeing how hard they worked, you know, during the weekends and after school all the time with everything. Um, but I, I left U of O loving science, but I had worked in a lab there and I really wasn't sure I wanted to do that kind of research. You know, I've been doing genetics research with plants and which is great, obviously, but I just wasn't sure it was for me. So at that point, I'd been like, okay, I'm not going to be a researcher. Um, and so at OMSI, I really got hooked on this broader idea of education. It happens in schools, but it also happens in museums. It happens at home, happens with families. So was introduced to the idea of 
informal STEM learning, which excited me. And I had started, you know, working at the front desk, but then I was a science educator and I did some teacher programs. And then I start became a, an exhibit developer, which was super exciting, OMSI, you know, being part of the team, building these huge exhibits. And so when I went to get my master's, I thought I was basically just going to become kind of, you know, a better educated, uh, uh, educator at that point. So just kind of, uh, improve my practice there. But part of that program was evaluation and research. And I realized that, oh, I love research as long as it's with people about people, you know, kind of understanding that uh, social science side of it. So that's when I really got hooked on the, the idea of research and continued through to my PhD. Yes. And that's what, you know, one of the things I, I found interesting is that yeah, just that STEM is, is such a big field. There's so many things that you can do with it. And so often, you know, if there's one part of it, we might not like, then folks might think, ah, you know, I'm out of the STEM thing. You know, hey, I didn't like being in a lab, so there's no other STEM stuff for me. But you actually uh, did have done quite a bit of research on informal STEM education. And was that was that part of your, your dissertation? Yeah, uh, the program, for- yeah, the program that I went to um, at Oregon State University was somewhat unique because it was a science education program. So like a lot of science education programs, it had, you know, a teacher prep classroom um, focused area. It also had a college education area. And then it had this whole other group of folks who were studying what science learning looks like outside of school and how that relates to what folks do in school. And so I was part of that cohort coming from the science museum world, but all of us got to work together and think about how science education spans those different contexts from inside of school to outside of school, from when kids are, you know, little, little to all the way through college. Man, and that's fantastic. And then uh, most recently, actually last year, you actually wrote uh, a couple of articles related to, uh, to, to young people, uh, in particular in uh, engineering. I think you, uh, wrote one uh, in 2020, of course, last year, mm-hmm. around the uh, 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 Head Start in Engineering. Yeah, that was uh, um, the Head Start in Engineering program was something that actually came out of my dissertation work. I was extremely lucky, you know, just these circumstances of people who help you out along the way and mentors and introductions. And during my Um, PhD program, I was introduced to folks at the Mount Hood Community College Head Start program, Um, Pam Corey um, in particular, um, and Cynthia Smith. And, you know, I was just, I was just some, you know, poor college student looking for a project, looking for a place to work. um, And they were very supportive. And so together, we put together um, a program idea, research idea, where I created science kits that Head Start families got to take home. And then I would check in with the families to see how those science kits were inspiring them to continue to talk about or think about science or do other things. And then I would also um, tag along with them when they would, for example, go outside on a walk or go to the science museum or do something else related to science to kind of see how that interest and ideas were building over time. And the idea of giving families kits 
it's just exactly what you were saying, um, Jarvis, about the magnifying glasses. Um, just that idea of having something tangible and fun in the house that inspires kids and families to keep exploring that idea. It was so popular with the families that um, Pam and Cynthia and I decided, well, we should write a grant to the National Science Foundation to see if we can actually put this into a more formal program and research study. And at the same time, we had met um, a good friend, Gina Sprofsky at the University of Notre Dame, who was really studying this idea of engineering in early childhood, which is still pretty new. And I think what resonated for us is the idea that engineering connects with the problem-solving skills that families and parents use in their everyday lives. So like science, it's a very relevant thing for young children and parents. So at that point, we wrote a uh, grant and we got some money to start the Head Start in Engineering program. And that was 2015, and it's been going strong ever since then. Great. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but we do have to take a quick moment to uh, talk about our sponsor for today's episode of In the Numbers. Today's episode of In the Numbers is sponsored by the 2021 East Metro STEAM Awards. The 2020-2021 academic year has been quite unique, and we've had many challenges and triumphs to this school year. And we want to take the opportunity to celebrate with those who have made positive contributions in the area of science, technology, engineering, arts, math, and math, and education, as well as the community and business in East Multnomah County during the past year. You can nominate a parent, educator, community leader, or business member for an award, and nominations are taken through Monday, June 14th. The awards will be held on Wednesday, June 30th at 4 p.m. It is an online event, and you can get your tickets as well as information about how to nominate someone for an award by visiting Eventbrite. So just go to Google and Google Eventbrite and East Metro Steam Awards, and the first thing that comes up in your browser will be the event information. And this event is sponsored by the East Metro Steam Partnership. So thank you, East Metro Steam Partnership, for your sponsorship, as well as for the East Metro Steam Awards. And we're excited to see this inaugural event happen this year. Uh, So, Scott, just really quick, back to... Uh, what you were saying on, on, on engineering, I think what I was just actually talking to someone else about this recently is that, you know, language matters and how we talk to young folks matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a buddy who went to Oregon State with me and he was really interested in engineering as a freshman, but his advisor uh, essentially talked him out of attempting to even try engineering. And they and they did it with the words of not necessarily saying you can't be in it, but they would say, well, you know, engineering is really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are those are very difficult classes. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you know, you wouldn't you be more comfortable in this type of of, of major? And far too often, especially as young people get older, it, it seems as if we we use coded language to talk uh, 
in particular marginalized communities out of of being an engineer and you know and, and it's a prestigious role and title and, and we look up to engineers and you know they're they're the smart ones but we we use coded language off the time to discourage the uh, people from from joining in, in the fields and what have you seen with 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 your research and and especially with with head start with the with, with how the the young people and even the families have received uh, this thought about engineering, even at, at that, that young of an age. Well, I completely agree with what you're saying, Jarvis. I mean, we could spend hours just talking about all the problems in the engineering field in terms of how it's been portrayed and how they've um, really kept out uh, individuals from marginalized groups from really becoming part of that community. And in our work, um, you know, what we see for parents um, and kids is that if you ask folks, you know, what is an engineer, what engineers do, people might say, you know, um, they build bridges, they do math. Um, it's something that kind of these professionals do, but I don't know much about it. Um, and through the program, what we really try to do is demonstrate how engineering is a process for solving problems um, and making change in our lives and that we really use that process every day and that actually Head Start parents and families in particular are extremely um, resourceful engineering problem solvers um, because just for the very reason that with, um, with limited resources, you need to solve problems and you need to use what you have around you to find solutions to those everyday challenges. And so as soon as um, that connection is made, then we really see families really taking ownership of that and starting to see engineering in their lives around them. You know, um, oh, I see how I organize my closet differently because I needed it to work this way. And that was an engineering process. Or I see how um, it was really hard to get out the door every morning with my young child going to Head Start. And so we made a slight shift in terms of when we woke him up and how we organized breakfast. And that made a difference. And that was an engineering design process. And so once families see, connect that, to the problem solving that they're already experts at, then we also see them very excited to help their children use that engineering design process to become better problem solvers themselves. And the other thing we really try to do is um, talk about how engineering is really a way to help children thrive in general and the way it connects to every aspect of children's development at this age and how engineering activities really activate all those different aspects, whether it's socio-emotional learning or math or science, or executive function, um, all those things we think about um, getting children ready to thrive and be successful in life. We try to make sure parents see how this is an opportunity to do that and fulfill the goals they have for their families. Yes, and I, and I think especially even as they get into, um, you know, uh, moving out of out of Head Start and our in our daycare and start moving towards, uh, you know, K five. I think the the K five model and even you know down to, to Head Start, you have an opportunity for a lot of of cross education there. So oftentimes, once you get into middle school and up, everything is really uh, is really siloed in terms of what you're learning. You know, you have your math class, you have your science class, you have your 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 language arts. You know, but as a somebody in K five, you have an opportunity to uh, have a lot of integrated learning opportunities, and engineering is perfect for that. It's perfect for bringing out 
hey, we're, we're using all these elements and integrating it and, and actually applying. And it's that applied learning that I think resonates so much with, with, with young people. And I think what you said earlier really, really struck me. And I think we need to really, I'm a really big on language matters. And I think we need to really look, you know, discuss engineering more as problem solving versus this kind of abstract profession that we discourage a lot of marginalized communities from joining. I, and, and instead of looking at it from an abstract and saying, hey, how do we solve problems and how do we use how do we learn as much as we can and use what we know to solve problems? I completely agree. And I think one of the things that's exciting about engineering education right now, and especially for those of us who are thinking about it for families and young children um, and thinking about it in this broader context of learning in, at school and at home, is that people are really starting to question, you know, engineering for what, for whom, who decides. And so we really, we're really working, you know, learning ourselves with families and with early childhood educators, you know, what is the expertise around problem solving and engineering that families already have? How can they help us understand and decide what is engineering rather than just us telling them? And how can that process really empower them as advocates for their children's learning as something that will help them over the long term? Yes. And, and one thing I, I am hoping that we start to, to include more. And, and I do like how you, how you've been studying kind of the science education and informal settings is because we have this kind of traditional academia, which uh, has, has always been exclusive, mm-hmm. you know, let, let, let alone uh, uh, ethnic exclusivity, uh, and gender ex- exclusivity uh, and and sexual orientation exclusivity that's kind of you know been baked into the the history of, of higher ed mm-hmm. but also this kind of hey we know everything and so you have to learn it only from us and there's actually a lot of engineering even in civil engineering that we've gotten from native populations mm-hmm. uh, that, 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 that have had a set of, of histories that have been passed down and variety of other communities where it's like, huh, why are they doing this? And it's, oh, now we learned that because they did X, Y, or Z. Now we learn, you know, elemental P as a result of that. So learning even information that we take in, there's so much of it that comes from outside of the classroom. Um, that that we have to make sure to start incorporating. I think the the one that I found the most interesting because I'm really into those. Uh, I used to be really into crime shows and forensic files, <laughs> and I used to really think I was going to be like a forensic scientist. Like that was one of my dream jobs for a moment. Yes. Until I realized I couldn't figure out the different fingerprints. I couldn't tell <laughs> which fingerprint was what. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a criminalist. That's not going to happen. But the fact that uh, they found out about the uh, uh, using super glue to preserve a fingerprint, like they didn't find, they didn't figure that out in a lab. They figured it out because the people that worked at the super glue factory kept leaving their fingerprints and they couldn't get it out. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's a it's it's amazing how so much of advancements in science like happens by accident or happens really outside of the laboratory settings. And yes. too far often we just say, oh, well, that person isn't a, you know, blah, blah, blah from Harvard or Yale or whatever else. So they must not know anything when there's so much stuff that folks are learning outside of the classroom setting that can be applied to science, can be applied to engineering, can be applied to technology. Uh, there's there's so much of that. And we, we're living in a more decentralized world in, well, in some aspects so that there's so much stuff that's now at your fingertips that you can get that you might not have had access to 25 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, you know, the, the stuff the kids can find out now, it is amazing. They all know how to use phones and, and can look stuff up on Google and can play all kind of games and, and things like that when, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't even have smartphones. I know, it's amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, our work is centered, a lot of our work with Head Start in Engineering and other programs is centered on engineering. But, you know, I think one of my deepest passions is across any STEM domain, how do families and kids together kind of um, build on their own personal interests, add to those through these program experiences, and then create these longer term kind of interest learning trajectories that they drive themselves. And so what we've tried to do is really um, understand, you know, not just from our perspective, what the impact of the program is, but what the families take from the programs themselves that's very unique based on their own interests that they brought to it. And then like, just like you're saying, how do they then seek out new resources, um, new learning opportunities um, to continue that process? And one of the things we're finding, you know, which is, you know, not a huge surprise is that that is extremely unique for each family and it's based on the interests that they brought to the program, both the parents and the kids. It's based on what they value and what their aspirations are for the future. And so we're really kind of from a standpoint of bringing more humility to our program, we're trying to get better at making sure the program doesn't just achieve our goals, but that it's flexible so that families can take from it what they want to achieve the goals that they have for the experience. And I'm, I'm curious, how would the... Well, how have been the reaction from the from the parents? I can see the, the the kids kind of kind of jumping on this, you know, a bit. But I'm curious, what has been the the parent um, kind of kind of reaction and response, uh, either from the beginning of the program to 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 even now that you're what five years in? You said, yeah, 2015 uh, is when we started. Okay, so how how's how the parent response been? You know, honestly, it's been amazing, and actually. Um, one of the parts of the program that I'm most passionate about is that connection with parents, you know, in multiple levels, parents as learners through the program, but parents also as teachers and supporting their role in that. And then also parents and advocates and collaborators as they get more into the program and they really start to advocate to us what they'd like, how they'd like to see the program change. And the response has been amazing. Um, like I said, you know, once parents, maybe if they start seeing engineering as something like, oh, I wasn't really sure about this, but a friend or a teacher recommended, so I t- decided to join it. But once they connect it to the problem solving that they do every day and that they really want to support in their kids, then we've really seen a lot of excitement about it. And 
The other thing um, we see a lot is that um, we try to model how based on a book or a story, you can get the seed of an idea for an engineering challenge that you can use everyday materials around the house um, to bring to life with your children. And that's been something that a lot of parents take away. They say, wow, you know, I see that now really any book or any experience or any topic is an opportunity for us to create a learning experience together. Um, and, you know, another big thing that we hear from parents is just, just that about quality um, learning time as a family, you know, especially during COVID, life's pretty crazy right now. Um, and so they just really value the opportunity to sit down together and work on something together that's exciting for the whole family. And not just the, the four-year-old or the five-year-old and the parent that we're working with in the program, but we try to make sure that it can encompass the siblings, the grandparents, the neighbor, anyone who's part of that learning context. Um, and that's something that parents have been really excited about, seeing how these can be ways where, you know, maybe their kids are learning individually at school, but when they come to this program across the generations, everyone can be part of that process. So what, what would be like some examples of, of some of that work or kind of a, you know, what would be an example of some things that might be in a, in a kit or, or something like that, that, that the students would be, would be working on sure. uh, either at home or at their, at their head start or, or something like that. Just the, Give some some color to, yeah. uh, to to kind of what you're what you're saying here. Sure, I can give a couple examples of um, these take home activities that have been sort of the backbone of the program. Um, one of them that was new to the program this year, uh, we called Fort Building, um, and it's based on this adorable book in Spanish and English um, called Little Red Fort, um, where a girl is um, a building a fort and she tries to get the help of her brothers, but they don't help. And then she by herself creates an amazing fort and then everyone's jealous because they want to play in it. Um, and so there's this book and um, lots of families have experienced using, you know, their uh, chairs and other furniture around the house and blankets to build forts. And so what we add to it in the kit is we add some interesting new connection pieces, some clamps, some zip ties, some Velcro, so that they can make connections that maybe they've never been able to make before. And then we also sprinkle in some challenge ideas. Can you make a fort um, that's big enough for your whole family? Can you make a fort that has a door that will open and close so that give it a little bit more fo focus and purpose and also kind of inspire them to think about the other attributes they want from their fort? And that's been really popular. We've heard a lot about how parents have really expanded their fort building at home. Um, again, definitely uh, in COVID. <laughs> Uh, that's been a great one. So that's one example. And then another new one this year that's interesting um, is uh, an activity called Dragons Love Tacos. And this gets at a different part of engineering that people don't often think of, process engineering. So engineers, you know, create objects or tools to solve problems, but also they um, engineer processes like a recipe um, that um, lead to some solution. And so um, this activity called Dragons Love Tacos is based on the book Dragons Love Tacos. And you're trying to figure out a way as a family to assemble these ingredients to make uh, tacos for dragons that have different, uh, you know, they have different favorite types of taco recipes. So can you create um, a process as a family to work together to make as many tacos as you can with this certain recipe that the dragon wants in a certain amount of time? And that's been great, not only because it's kind of a fun game and people think about process engineering in a different way, but also because 
Many families are already very familiar with the idea of tacos, so they bring in their own experiences and their own stories, and it really comes to life and just becomes an activity that they can turn into, you know, a taco restaurant or anything else that they want to expand it into. Yeah, well, you know, now, you know, they call me the dragon. (laughs) Figure out what kind of tacos are going to be making for me right now. Exactly. A little little, little hungry there. And I, I really do appreciate, you know, the opportunity to let young people be creative. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a couple of very good TED Talks on how how education kind of stifles creativity sometimes and it's really good especially when they're when they're younger to be able to foster that creativity um as a piece of the work that you're doing and uh to to not just say ah there's no dinosaurs you know don't don't do anything like that no you're in the dinosaurs what would be a a great thing and solve that problem using the things that they're into versus kind of just bashing them down on what isn't real or what isn't this or what isn't that. Uh, And I think we, we need more creativity. I completely agree with you, Jarvis. And that's an interesting thing also that people that we have conversations about engineering all the time is oftentimes we have this assumption that engineering, you know, kind of like the assumptions we have about math and science, maybe there's one right answer, but you know, really the idea is that there's multiple solutions to any engineering design problem and multiple ways of thinking about it. So that's something that families often take away too, is excited that, oh, for any any challenge or problem we're trying to solve, there's many different ways that we can do it. And that's a great way for children to have many opportunities to find a solution. And the other thing I, you know, that resonated with me, what you just said is that idea of tapping into children's imagination and their imaginative play. Um, children really learn through that. And in a design context, that's really where they can get into a much more creative engineering design mode. For example, we often use um, little stuffies as part of these engineering challenges, whether it's like a little stuffed chicken or a little stuffed cat. And children just bring those characters to life. And then when they start designing and building things for those little stuffies, for those little characters, they're bringing in all their imagination to that. Oh, this one's hungry. It needs shelter. This one really likes purple hats. All these creative things that kids bring to it that as adults, we maybe don't think of as much. Those kids are bringing those into that. And that really drives their engineering design um, thinking in a way that's actually very authentic um, to engineering because people need to think about the client. They need to think about human-centered design and what the needs are for the people. And they need to be very creative in the ways they try to solve those problems with different resources and different materials. Yes, man. And, and you know, anybody who, who, who's on TikTok can test how <laughs> creative some of these some of these young people are. Uh, although with although with some of that stuff on TikTok, I laugh because there's there's some stuff that people think is like really new and cutting edge. Like oh, TikTok is new. This is, this idea has never been done before. I was like, you do realize Vine was like, you know, 15 years ago, like. You know, it's not like the stuff hasn't been done in some aspects of it. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do laugh at some of that stuff. Like uh, and I just saw a, a meme today that I, that that like Twitter is going to find a way to to allow you to put music on your on your page or something like that. So if people go to your thing. They can hear music. And then somebody retweeted. Like yes, finally this generation is figuring out MySpace. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> it is. It is hilarious to see how some of that stuff in the tech world uh, kind of comes back a bit. But it's just amazing just how much the kids can can imagine and reimagine things um, and that whatever they think about is okay. And I think the thing that really tripped me out when I was growing up is, as you said, you know, in math, there was always a right answer. Right. Until I, until I got to calculus and learned about the quadratic formula and realized there's two answers. I'm like, wait a minute. What is this? Like, you mean X could either be this or this? Like, this is, this, like, it blew my mind. I'm like, this is the craziest thing in the world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, this is, this is, this is wild. And then when I learned, especially with some of science, uh, why so many things were called theories because they technically could never be proven. Uh, it, it, it really started to blow my mind and really made me want to, to research things. And then that's what's so exciting even about social science mm-hmm. is that there's so many variables in place that there's so much to study and learn from that we haven't even scratched the surface on. And that's why I think it's really cool that you are both a, uh, a you're a social scientist in a STEM field, kind of bringing both of those together, which, you know, oftentimes the quote unquote hard scientists, you know, you know, look a little differently, have a, you know, stiff upper lip when it comes to the social science. You know, we're a hard science. <laughs> that's the, that's social scientists on the other. And like they're on like different sides of campuses. Like they're not even close to each other half the time on college campuses. Uh, and I've been in those faculty meetings and they were, we're a hard sign. <laughs> yeah, but you don't understand the social aspect of stuff. So you still need the social scientist to help explain some stuff to you. So uh, and give it context. And that's why it's, it's so important, especially we consider that we put the A in STEM to make it STEAM because the art helps you give context. You know, engineering is I see it as science and math with context. Yes. You know, and, and, and helping understand and, and actually applying those things to some real life things rather than rather than being theoretical. Yes. You know, we can we can have a lot of theoretical answers, but I, I want some I want some some real tangible answers <laughs> yes. to a couple of things. Yes, you know, it, you're so uh, right. I mean, I feel like we constantly as educators and researchers have to be questioning our assumptions. I mean, we're constantly questioning, like, what do we mean by engineering and what are we learning from families and kids that are making us think about engineering differently? I, like you're saying, we, if you talk to some professional engineers, they'll say, well, there's no way little kid could do engineering. Um, and obviously that's just not true. And, and the other thing we think about all the time too is our assumptions about families and what, how parents can engage with their kids in these settings. I mean, um, we really try to avoid this idea that there's one way that parents should be helping their kids learn about science and engineering in these contexts. And we hear this from parents saying, you know, well, I'm really more comfortable, you know, being a collaborator with my kid, or I'm really more comfortable kind of asking questions, or maybe I'm even more comfortable just having my kid tag along when I work or when I cook. And it's those little everyday moments during chores or regular activities where we really learn together. And I think we're trying to, we're trying to really make sure that we can support all of those parent roles and we don't try to make assumptions or communicate a specific way that a family has to learn together or a specific way that a parent has to be supporting their kids because that's 
that's just an assumption that's been passed down by narrow thinking about what family learning looks like. A hundred percent. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more and then talk about uh, ways folks can, can maybe get engaged or, or, or support your, your programming or your work here in a minute. Uh, but we still have to go back and thank our sponsors once again. So today's episode of In the Numbers podcast is sponsored by the inaugural and 2021 East Metro STEAM Awards presented by the East Metro STEM Partnership that will occur on Wednesday, June 30th, 2021 at 4 p.m. It will be an online event. The tickets are free. You can get your ticket by going to Eventbrite and searching for East Metro STEAM Awards and that event will come up. You can get your ticket right there. You can also find information there on how you can nominate some uh, a, a student, a parent, an educator, a community leader, or business leader in East Multnomah County for an opportunity to win a East Metro STEAM Award. Nominations are being accepted through Monday, June 14th at 9 a.m., so please feel free, go to eventbrite.com, search East Metro Steam Awards, and get your ticket today. And we thank them for their sponsorship. And so I wanted to, to ask you a bit really quick, you know, um, you, you've been doing this work uh, for five years now. Um, you have the, the grant from the National Science Foundation, but are there, are there ways other people can be involved in this work. I know I'm going to have you connected. We're doing uh, some work this summer around early uh, early learning communities for uh, uh, professional learning communities for early learning folks and working on STEM kits and things like that at that level. So there'll be some engagement that some, some of, some of our folks in the, in the partnership will be engaged with you, but how do, how do folks get engaged with this work at all? Our, do they not be engaged with this work? How, did, how could they replicate this? Or just, just any way folks can can be in, engaged by, by hearing what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, many ways, and we're all always open to suggestions. So, you know, one thing I wanted to say is that everything that we work on and share is completely free and available for people to adapt and use. So if you go to the Head Start and Engineering website um, at turk.edu slash HSE, um, then we've got a lot of our, um, you know, kit ideas and activity ideas, and we've got videos in Spanish and English. All of our resources are bilingual Spanish and English. Um, people are welcome to download those and use those. So that's one thing. And we're always open to feedback or new ideas from folks. The other idea I wanted to share um, is that, you know, we work specifically with these preschool age children as part of the Head Start and Head Start program, um, and these families get really excited about engineering and science and other aspects of STEM, and then they move on from Head Start and they move on to the K through 12 world, and they're looking for new opportunities to keep those interests up. And so, I wanted to give a general call for folks working in this area in the East Metro region. If you have resources or programs for um, families um, with young children, early elementary age children that we can help connect our families with, I think it's a great way to continue those interests and make connections between our different resources. So we're looking for those ideas. Um, and especially, you know, as you know, Head Start uh, families, uh, low-income families, um, 
um, families speaking multiple languages. So we're really looking for programs that are accessible and welcoming and reflect um, the diversity within this community as they get excited about STEM and want to continue it as their kids get older. Fantastic. Well, well I know we're, we're definitely going to get you uh, connected with some work that, that we're trying to do because we're committed to uh, really pushing forward these things and starting to connect the work that some folks are, are doing with work that other folks are doing. Mm-hmm. So we, we know that you're doing such a great job here with Head Start. So now it's like, okay, uh, now, now that we got the families excited over here in Head Start, you know, where can they be excited in, uh, in you know, K2 or K5? That's right. And then, you know, we get K5 excited. Where can we go? Where can we get the middle schools excited? Mm-hmm. And then all the way up to uh, to high school. So they're, uh, and then next day, you know, everybody's going to be excited. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely trying to find some ways to ensure that there are these pathways started in, in early education. Uh, because that's really where I, I don't think people understand the gravity of how impactful some of these early experiences in education matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, I uh, my 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 aunt she's she's in her fifties. Uh, she went back in her late forties to get her her education, and she's a, a social worker now. Uh, but she was in the group of students that was one of the first group of students to integrate in the Portland area. Mm-hmm. And when they when they had when they when they bus students out, and she would she had told me about one of her experiences where the the teacher pretty much called her stupid in front of the entire class. Mm-hmm. And from then on, and I was at a, in a grade school setting. From then on, she's always felt inadequate in the classroom, even when she, you know, had, you know, her associate's degree and things like that. Like every time she would ask me to look at her papers and I'm like, your papers are fine. Uh, But she just that one experience matters so much. Mm -hmm. And then I told her about an experience that I had, which I got in. uh, I was in a program called SEI. We had a speaker come in who would talk, who talked to us about you're more likely to get an MBA than go to the NBA. Hmm. And from that point on, I knew I was getting the MBA. <laughs> I just knew. Now, I thought I was doing it going to be more in finance, but that's a whole another story. Uh, but those kind of things impact people. And the, the more we could talk about, hey, as a kid, you're like, you can be an engineer. Like It's not something that somebody else does. You could be a doctor or a veterinarian or a paleontologist or a marine biologist. I was just talking to someone else uh, who had uh, went to went to Oregon State like like you did and I did. And they're like, man, somebody told me I couldn't be a marine biologist. And I was like, we have like the biggest marine <laughs> biology program, you know, between like uh, San Diego State. And, and uh, you know, you dub like we have marine biology and oceanography. That's like our biggest things uh, mm. outside of engineering. Uh, but somebody told them that they couldn't do that. Mm. And so or they would say, hey, there's, there's not many jobs for people like that out there. Uh, in short, there's not a job for you out there. 
if right. you if you go this route. But there's there's so many things. The more inclusive language we use, the more. And that's one thing I appreciate. You all have the information on the on the website, both in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's one thing. If anybody wants to donate money, feel free to do so. We could even have that stuff in even more languages. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Most languages in East County. So uh, those are the things that, that, that help with that. Uh, but there are resources on there. There's resources for families. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's family activity kits, mm-hmm. uh, sparks activities. Those are kind of fun. Uh, so so check those out. Go to uh, Turk, T-E-R-C dot E-D-U slash H-S-E. And there's some really cool uh, resources there. Uh, and then even some of the uh, research that they're done. So for all the research nerds and, and social <laughs> scientists like 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 myself, uh, feel free to go and read some of the publications. They're really cool there. Uh, the the kits are there. We're going to be building some kits this summer, so we, we we may actually use some of some of these things to actually build some of the kits. Great. And some of the other things are are kits that are. Uh, at home thing, so you don't have to. It's not like you have to make a big purchase to uh, to 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 use some of your some of the resources uh, that are that are available there. So don't think of it as you got to make this this huge uh, extra investment. So there's a really a lot of good information there. Uh, please go to Turk.edu/hse for uh, a lot of really cool information on the uh, the Head Start. And engineering, uh, you know, are there, are there some other things you want people to know? Or, or I know you made your call to action. <laughs> We're going to challenge folks in, in East Multnomah County, especially at our at our at our grade school levels, to, to kind of pick some things up and see where we can uh, where we can increase some 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 engineering things. Uh, but what are some other things you want people to know? You know, as we as we get to the, to the latter part of our episode today. Well, I did want to say that, um, you know, like all websites, our website is a work in progress. And right now, like you said, we have a whole section in Spanish and English for resources for families. And um, we also have some videos there in Spanish and English about what we even mean by everyday engineering and how that connects to problem solving. But we're also working this summer on building out a whole section for educators, for early childhood educators, for parent educators. So hopefully that will be useful. And, um, I just wanted to echo something you said earlier, um, Jarvis, that, um, you know, there really are two sides to this coin. I mean, we're working to try to, as researchers and educators, we're working to try to engage families in engineering and other aspects of STEM and develop their interests. But at the same time, we really have to be actively working against um, systems of injustice and issues in, you know, the education system and in our own work, Um, you know, the things that you highlighted in terms of the messages people are conveying about engineering, the betrayal of engineers, um, you know, in the program, the ways that families are excluded or they find barriers. And so I really, I really think only, it's only part of it is getting families interested. The other part is really changing the education system. So it really reflects and is welcoming to all the families that we're trying to bring into um, these STEM areas. That is, man, that's, that's a lot of good information there. And Scott, I've always appreciated your, your work. Uh, 
and it means so much. A lot of folks uh, don't realize how much a head start is important, mm-hmm. uh, how much preschool is important. I know Oregon is just putting out the uh, uh, the full time, uh, uh, you know, preschool for all kind of deal uh, that the voters put in put in place. Uh, we we still need more providers, mm-hmm. and so 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 folks that are interested in this work, you know, please make sure you you're looking at getting your your uh, your 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 certifications for for some of this. We definitely need more uh, uh, facilities. There's a big article in about a facility that is is having a hard time finding a, a place mm. in uh, in Clackamas County. Uh, but but we're we're seeing that with the with the pandemic, there were uh, one thing that was that was still needed that was considered essential were our were our child care and early learning providers, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it, it matters so much for students. There's there's a lot of programming that is going to start this summer around some of the uh, around some of the summer education funding that. Uh, ODE put out, um, and there's a couple of grants that are out there. I think with OCF and a couple other folks. So you're starting to see more uh, more programming come out. But I, I encourage folks to to not only have their children in uh, some of these uh, if you qualify for the Head Start or have uh, students in preschool and things like that. It, it matters a ton for, of course, their socialization. But we, we start this process of of in this this uh, inquisitive mm-hmm. mindset early, and we can reinforce that early. We can ask. It's, it's not just hey, learn X, Y, and Z. It's hey, you have this interest. Let's learn about it. Hey, you like dinosaurs. Let's learn about it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's use those things to teach you math, science, etc. Just because, and that's what I feel school in general just has to be better at is uh, is is encouraging uh learning versus using it as a social barometer mm-hmm. uh, so to speak and we have opportunities especially in marginalized communities to say no everyone is welcome everyone can be a scientist uh everyone has an opportunity to be an engineer um and I think there's some engineering for alls and some other programs that are that are going out to to help with that. But I think every student and every family needs to needs to understand that the there's a chance for their their student to be involved in anything that they're interested in. And oftentimes it's just being exposed to it is is what stops folks from being interested. I didn't know that that was going on. Yeah. I agree. You know, I might have been an engineer. Yeah. And I think, I think it's got to look different for every community based on their goals. And I, I wanted to give a shout out to a new collaborator, um, Blueprint Foundation and Deron Coles, who's the executive director there. And um, I'm working with him. He's spearheading a new effort to introduce um, parents and parent educators and their young children to engineering through the Engineering Promise program, but really focusing on these home-based, small um early childhood centers that are particularly important for the African-American and black community in our region. 
Um, so it doesn't, uh, Head Start's important. It can be other large centers, but there's also these small family-based centers that are really serving um, different families in different ways that um, it's important to uh, support them and get STEM into those areas as well. Okay, well, we have to shout out. We, you know, we might have to get good Dr. Uh, Deron Coles on the uh, on the In the Numbers podcast here. Absolutely. So, um, oh man, him and him and I go way back to, of course, our Oregon State days, and <laughs> I was I was upset with him because he came down and taught math in what was called the ELP program. Okay. So he, he taught math, and I was upset because I wanted to take the math from him. And <laughs> by the time he got there, either I had already taken all the math classes, and then the one math class I didn't take, he didn't teach until after I took it. So I blamed oh. him for my uh, for my struggles in uh, in in a couple of my math classes <laughs> at Oregon State because I, I said if he would have taught them. I would have, I would, I would have got through them a lot easier. But well, you have uh, to give them a hard time yeah. on the air. <laughs> I do, I do. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still mad about that. I was like, hey, I had a tough time in, uh, in, in, in one of these, uh, in my, in my calculus class because he wasn't around to, to teach it. So I do have to, I have to mess with him a little bit <laughs> about that. Uh, so. Uh, but yes, it is great to connect with programs like that, and I'm definitely going to be be hitting them up and get him in the numbers. And so I want to th- anything else you want to share with people on the way out? Uh, uh, I gave them the website turk.edu/hsc. Is there is there any way else you want folks to contact you or um, no? Or that's look a great you up way. or anything. That's a great way. My contact information is there, and you know, again, another shout out to OMSI and the University of Notre Dame and. Mount Hood Community College Head Start for being great partners. And just thank you to you, Jarvis. It was, uh, it was great talking to you. It was great to be on the show. No, we are glad to have you here. Uh, we'll definitely have you back again. Great. And we always love to give shout-outs to Notre Dame, especially after <laughs> we kicked their tail in the Fiesta Bowl Woo! in 2001. So, you know, I still have my my bow ring from that game. So, uh, you know, I always love Notre Dame and thank them for – being in that game because we could have got Virginia Tech that year. We had Michael Vick at quarterback, and we didn't want to see none of that. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Notre Dame, for sure. But thank you, all the partners. I want to thank Scott Pedersen for being here uh, today. Uh, Dr. Scott, let me make sure I got to use your honorific. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your work that you're doing with the Head Start on engineering. Uh, it's very impactful out here in, in East County. And remember, everyone, our, our number of the day is 365. So if you have an interest in early learning and, and you're thinking about starting a center, we need more of them. We need more folks uh, educating our, our youngest of populations uh, as a piece. And so uh, for everyone here, we want to thank you for listening to In the Numbers podcast and just take your time to enjoy the sun that's out there right now and be nice and be kind to each other and make sure to always stay out in the numbers. (laughs) Thank you.